everybody. This is Ellen Weatherford with Just the Zoo of Us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. And I'm a little bit starstruck this week because I have one of my favorite people in the world <laughs> recording with me today. This is Patch from Tear Zoo. Say hi, Patch. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on. So I'm just going to get right into it. I know you from your YouTube channel, your series of videos called Tear Zoo. Can you tell us a little bit about Tear Zoo for people who maybe haven't heard of it yet? Yeah, it's a bit high concept. What I <laughs> normally tell people when I get asked that question is it's wildlife ecology and evolution through the lens of gaming. It's so good. So, you know, for people who haven't seen it before, you're kind of making tier lists and assigning statistics using gaming mechanic sort of terminology and applying it to real world ecology. It is so good and so funny. What got you into doing a YouTube series like this? Yeah, there's a few different sources that I, I attribute to it. Starting with the Super Smash Brothers community. Mm -hmm. uh, I, when I was in college, I got really into the video game series Super Smash Brothers and tried to get like competitive at it. There was a club at my college of people who were very competitive. And I had like grown up playing it and I was like the best of my friends, but never did I encounter actual people who'd studied the game and knew very specific mechanics and knew even more about my favorite characters than I did. And so delving into that scene and learning all of the intricacies of Super Smash Brothers was really interesting. It was very engaging, but I also couldn't help but think that it had a lot of parallels to what I was studying in college at the time, which was uh, microbiology, but biology in general, just a lot of parallels to the ways that strategies in competitive games and the, the metagame, which is the more prevalent uh, strategies, counter strategies, how those evolve with time and how players adapt to the strategies employed by other players. I found that very interesting and I found that to be similar to evolution in a lot of ways. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the long and short of the basic inspiration. There were plenty of other YouTubers and content creators and even just like Twitter jokes that I, I saw. I mean, I think if you, if you go on like any animal video on YouTube where there's like a, a big fight or something, and you look in the comments, there's always people making jokes like, <laughs> oh, like this, this animal has max damage. <laughs> it got a critical hit on that one right there. And I, I kept getting exposed to that style of humor. And I was like, that's like a, actually a really good way to remember different facts and different things you've seen in the animal kingdom. And so I was like, ah, I could maybe make a channel about it. Yeah. So I, I threw together one video in like a day and put it on on Reddit. There was a <laughs> subreddit called r slash outside, mm. which uh, is dedicated specifically to framing real life uh, in the lens of gaming. Like if the real world was like an MMO. Exactly. And it's the, the subreddit is more tailored towards humanity. But I still made a video about it was about the cane toad, mm. the amphibian in Australia. And I put it on there and it like blew up. It got like 40,000 views in the first day, which like I had made YouTube videos before. Uh, I'd even made like themed channels before in like high school and early college, but never had I gotten anywhere near that response. Like most videos would get less than a thousand views. Mm -hmm. So to get 40,000 on the first day and then it, to have it continue and be shared as see people talking about it on Twitter and things like that. I was like, oh, I like have something here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I should really continue this, huh? 
And so I did, and it just kept going. And it's so intuitive, I think, because I play video games a lot. I think people who have listened to this podcast a lot probably hear some of what you're talking about, that sort of like video game humor sort of like eking in. It's so easy to just like apply those things to what you're seeing in the world, even when it's not 100% relevant, because a lot of times the mechanics in the video game are meant to sort of mimic what's going on in the real world anyway. So it just, it makes sense. But I, I think it has a lot to do with like your editing style and the way that you're like bringing in like graphics from popular games that people are already kind of familiar with that just makes it really hit home, right? Right? You hear like that RuneScape hit sound or something and you're like, oh, there you go. Yep. Yep. The classic. I love it so much. <laughs> like it, it just makes it feel like, oh, man, I know exactly what you're talking about. And in evolution, you see that like arms race. It very much mirrors what happens in video games where like you, you'll you see animals were like, oh, you're really poisonous. I'm going to have to become a resistant to your poison. I guess I'm going to mm-hmm. have to make my poison stronger. Well, I'm going to make my resistance stronger. So like you get into these like spirals of like <laughs> animals buffing themselves. Exactly. So it it makes sense to sort of frame things that way. It's just a uh, chef's kiss. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I, I don't spend a lot of time explaining the concept in the videos themselves. It's kind of you get it or you don't. And if you get it, <laughs> you'll probably enjoy it. Yeah. And if you don't, you'll just move on and be like, what the heck was that? I'll, <laughs> I'll go find something else, I guess. I think that there's probably been a lot of people that have watched the video and been like, I didn't 100% get that. Let me kind of learn a little bit more about that, you know, and you like you dig into it so that you can get the joke. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, my parents had to do that. Like, they're like, what is this, Patrick? What did you do? Um, <laughs> I'm like, listen, it's going to take a lot. There's, there's, there's like several layers of explanation I have to do before I can even lay the groundwork <laughs> to make the videos make sense. But they got there, you know, like they put in the work and people do that all the time. I see, I get a lot of comments from both scientists who are v- really interested in the subject matter, but have no idea what I'm talking about. And from gamers who understand the terminology and the lingo and everything, but aren't interested in learning about wildlife ecology at all, which I find really interesting. And I, I, I'm very proud of the fact that I've been able to get both groups engaged with something they're very unfamiliar with. Yeah, it's, it's bridging a gap that works really well. Like before you launched the YouTube series and before you started like applying game terminology to wildlife ecology stuff. Did you already have like an interest in like wildlife ecology or was that something that came with doing the video series? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, even as like a very small child, my parents knew that I was really, really into like catching creepy crawlies and bugs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my first like stuff with this was I lived for a little bit in El Paso, Texas, which has a lot of very large insects and and so my parents would take me on like little nature walks and have me watch me like flip over rocks and bring a butterfly net Aww. and uh, do stuff like that. So like even, yeah, all this to say, even from a very young age, uh, I was very interested in learning about wildlife and also very engaged with wildlife content. Mm-hmm. So like the crocodile hunter, of course, I was a huge fan of, of him, of Steve when I was a kid. Uh, same with like Jeff Corwin and uh, a lot of the other TV personalities that would do that kind of thing. But also the nature documentary things that like BBC was doing. Like I was a huge, huge fan of Walking with Dinosaurs. <laughs> I remember my grandpa like recorded it from the TV. Like he made a tape of it 
while it was on TV. So oh. I'd watch it. I'd watch it a bunch as a kid, even like with the commercials in, because that's what you had to do. That was so nice of him. <laughs> it was, yeah. He he really put in the work for it, and I really appreciated it. Yeah, my my parents, my family in general is very very supportive of me learning about the natural world. Sometimes a little a little too supportive, honestly, because uh, there was a few times I got hurt because they were like, "Oh yeah, just go do your thing." Uh, when I was in, in El Paso one time, I, I I saw a nice little red insect on the ground. Uh, and I just picked it up. Oh, no. And uh, so this is a, a red uh, insect in El Paso. Do you have a guess as to what it was? Was it a velvet ant? It was a velvet <laughs> ant, yes. <laughs> and if you know what a velvet ant is, you know what happens when you pick that up. Nothing good. <laughs> no, yeah. My, my entire arm went numb, actually. <gasps> no. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I'm sure you you know Coyote Peterson from mm-hmm. the Roy Wilderness series. Mm-hmm. But watching his video where he is stung by the velvet ant was a bit of a, like a nostalgia trip for me because the way he describes the pain was so exactly what I felt. Wow. That I was like, whoa, that really <laughs> did happen to me. I didn't imagine that. I didn't, I haven't completely blocked that out of my mind. It really was a thing. That's like the extreme of when your parents are like, oh, you need to learn that the stove is hot. So I'm just going to let you touch it the one time totally. so that you learn. But it's yeah. like <laughs> a little bit of the extreme of that where you're like just let him touch the velvet ant it'll be fine <laughs> yeah i mean all things considered it could have gone a lot worse there was way worse things i could have picked up mm-hmm. it wasn't a scorpion it wasn't a like a rattlesnake or anything sure i didn't get seriously injured but it just hurt a lot yeah learn my lesson <laughs> there you go you gotta learn not to touch stuff yeah. well it kind of like breaks the stereotype i think of the idea of people who are interested in video games as being very like indoorsy, you know, not interested in the outside, not interested in engaging with nature, you know, I think it kind of breaks that stereotype a little bit of being like, look, you can have an interest in a passion for video games and also an interest in a passion for nature. Like it kind of melds them together a little bit. Yeah, thank you. I guess I couldn't (laughs) have said it better myself. (laughs) So today we are talking about bald eagles, which I'm really, I'm excited for. And I'm also a little bit ashamed that we got this far and haven't talked about eagles because we're talking, we're coming up on our hundredth episode. And like, I guess we just never have gotten to them. So bald eagles, probably most people know they're like the emblem animal of the United States of America. Yeah, I was going to say, very not patriotic of you to not feature them up until the 100th episode. Yeah. Or maybe it is very patriotic. You, <laughs> is this the exactly the, the 100th episode? No, it's not exactly oh, the 100th No credit at all then. Never mind. <laughs> you know, bald eagles are big birds of prey. I don't think that you realize how like big they are until you see one in person. Um, mm-hmm. Can you kind of introduce us to bald eagles a little bit? Yeah, sure. So the bald eagle... Definitely one of the biggest birds of prey, one of the biggest raptors in North America. They prey primarily on fish, but will eat other things, rodents, carrion, reptiles. But yeah, they have a a very large wingspan. They're the tanks of the birds of prey. (laughs) (laughs) See, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Do they have bald eagles where you're at, where you live? Yeah. uh, Actually, I just saw one the other day. I was driving to... Um, my fiance's parents' place, and we saw a bald eagle that was just picking at a, a deer that was hit on the road. And it was also being kind of harassed by some crows. <laughs> I've seen this on more than one occasion. I've seen crows kind of following and swooping in on an eagle midair. 
which I always thought was very brave of the crows. Yeah. But maybe they're just like not worth the eagle's time to like react and attack them. Because the eagle's significantly larger than the crows, right? Way but the larger, crows kind of yeah. have like they have like the strength in numbers almost. So like Yeah, and the agility, I guess. Like if you're small, you have a shorter wingspan, you can make much tighter turns. Oh yeah. So whereas the eagle is much better at like soaring through the sky, mm-hmm. but not necessarily for weaving in and out of the eagle's attack range sure. as the crows are doing. Yeah. And you mentioned that it was like picking at something dead on the side of the road. And we have bald eagles where I live um, in down in Florida. And I feel like that's where I usually see them too, is like picking at dead stuff, which really shatters the mental image that people may have of a bald eagle as being like, like a noble predator, you know, like... Yeah, no, they're very much not the majestic creature that you would think they are. No. <laughs> um, on one hand, they're like thieves, like they will steal from each other, they will attack sickly creatures, as most predators do. And they, yeah, they generally don't pick on things their own size. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really call them the most magnificent of creatures. <laughs> But they're still very impressive for their size. Oh, and the other thing is they they don't sound like they do in movies because the the sound bite that they add to make eagles sound scary is actually the call of a red-tailed hawk. It's that piercing screech. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that screech is not something you'd hear from an eagle. No. Bald eagles sound like seagulls, basically. <laughs> It is like a like a chirping sort of like ee, 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 yeah like, a little squeak <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's it sounds nice it has a pleasant sound to it but it's not the intimidating you know the the screech of a hawk that you'll hear usually played over like a panning shot of a canyon or something like that like no, exactly it's not that exactly. <laughs> If this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories. And our first category that we rate animals on is effectiveness. So this is physical adaptations, things that are built into their body that let them do a good job of the things they're trying to do. So for the bald eagle, which is a bird of prey, these are things that let it maybe catch its prey, protect its prey from other predators, things that are built into its body that let it do those things. What what do you think you would give the bald eagle out of 10 for effectiveness? Yeah, for effectiveness, I think I would have to give it a 10 out of 10. It's very good at what it does. So bald eagles are sea eagles. They are specifically adapted to catch fish above anything else. And they are really, really good at catching fish. Their talons are perfectly hooked and curved in a way where it's totally impossible that a fish would ever escape once it's attacked. Uh, and they can carry very large fish from whatever body of water they snatch them from, and they can carry them quite a ways. So in terms of what they're trying to do, which is catch nice big fish, carry them away and eat them, they do a real good job of that. <laughs> I have seen them hanging out in not exactly photogenic locations, like picking like garbage out of dumpsters and stuff like that. <laughs> so, like... Yeah, they definitely also do that. I mean, anywhere that you could find like a seagull, mm-hmm. I think aside from maybe the beach, I don't, I don't know if you're going to see many just because they're probably a little bit scared of humans. But yeah, beyond that, like you could definitely find a bald eagle at an actual waste dump <laughs> or on the side of the road picking at a carcass. They're just like, combat seagulls just, like, <laughs> seagulls that have been like armed with knives basically yeah yeah that's a good way to put it 
So when you see one, um, you know, we see them every once in a while here. I saw one one time we were driving down like backwoods roads, right? This is like had no cell service type of road through the northern part of Florida. And we saw what we thought was a hawk on the road because it was brown and it was covered in this sort of like speckly, like white sort of speckly look. And then when it got up and flew away, I was like, I think that was like a young bald eagle. I looked it up later and I realized that they don't get that like white head brown body until they're like adults. Have you seen like a young bald eagle? Yeah. They look totally different. (laughs) They do. Very difficult to distinguish from a hawk. Yeah. I would say. Unless you like a red-tailed hawk obviously has the red tail, but you might not always see that if it's like just sitting down. Mm -hmm. So if it's just sitting at the side of the road eating something, it'd be, be kind of difficult to tell, I would think. Yeah. And seeing them at all, I think, is a testament to their effectiveness because bald eagles were almost totally eradicated from North America. They were, I think, at one point down to like a few hundred. And even when I was a kid, I never saw bald eagles. It was a treat if you saw like people would like walk outside their homes to look at them if they saw them flying overhead because it was so rare. I only ever saw them when I would go out west with my family to like Montana because the majority of them were like in Alaska for a while or yeah, in the Rocky Mountains. But now they are everywhere. Now I every time I go for a drive in the country, even in Wisconsin, which is not where I used to see them at all, maybe once in a blue moon. Yeah, now I would be surprised not to see one. <laughs> it's always a nice little treat, though, when you're driving around and you see it and they're just flying through the air. I don't know. It makes you feel like blessed almost. You're like, oh, it's it's a lucky day for me. It feels like a good luck omen of some kind when I see one. We don't see them very often where I live, but like every once in a while, like you said, bird that's more like adapted to being near water. We have no shortage of water here in Florida. Um, I'm right. like, I live in between the ocean and a river, so they could really go either way. <laughs> they could, I guess so. I'm surprised you don't see them more. And they're also smaller in the Southern United States. Oh. So if you ever come to the North, you'll see them and they'll be bigger. Oh, the big boys are up there. Yeah. It's a concept called, I forget the exact name. I think it's like Bergman's rule, Mm -hmm. but it's just the concept of things get bigger as you get away from the equator because just the way that surface area and volume and heat transfer work, it makes more sense for things living in colder environments to be bigger because it's easier to stay warm when you're bigger and have less surface area to volume. That makes sense. So the ones that we have down here, like I'm thinking about what other birds of prey they have down here to compete against. And they're pretty small. We have like hawks, we have ospreys a lot down here, um, which they also, you know, are, are fish eaters. They'll swoop right down and catch a fish right in yep. front of your face. But they're, they're little, you know, so I would imagine there's maybe not as much pressure on them to get that big, really. They don't have a lot of huge competitors down here except the crows which can and will chase a bald eagle right off of whatever they've got (laughs) yep they will we've got the turkey vultures that um you know usually you'll see them circling and everything like that but i feel like a bald eagle can like vibe with the vultures i feel like they're usually okay with each other (laughs) yeah probably i would would think they could maybe share a kill at least i saw a really cool video of a a bald eagle and a heron both trying to peck at the carcass of like a rabbit or something. And they were <laughs> repeatedly kind of chasing each other away from it. They've just forged like a small truce. Like in this moment, we're okay with each other enough. <laughs> yeah. So our next category that we rate animals on is ingenuity, which are behavioral adaptations. Um, maybe clever things that an animal does to 
you know, maybe compete with other animals or ways that it's like solving problems it encounters every day. What would you give the bald eagle for ingenuity? I think I would give the bald eagle like a four in that category. Okay. I don't see them as particularly <laughs> clever, especially compared to other birds of prey. Because bald eagles specifically, I was reading about this earlier, they do not attack things that are large or like the size of them. They they tend to specifically focus on catching smaller prey. Uh, whereas other eagles, I mean... I've seen videos of golden eagles attacking deer, attacking goats, like very large, large creatures that they will prey on. And they have to find clever ways to, to defeat them mm-hmm. because they're large. And, you know, if they get hit with a counterattack and they get their wing broken, they're, that's, that's the end of the line for them. Right. Eagles, it seems like they stick with what they know they're good at, which is picking off fish. And they just do that. And they don't take risks, which is a good idea. Don't get me wrong but it doesn't really speak to their ingenuity. Sure. They're maybe going a little bit easy on themselves. Yeah. A little complacent. (laughs) You know, it works for them. It clearly has been doing okay, especially since they were able to bounce back for, from such a huge uh, detriment to their population. You just maybe would like to see something a little more interesting from our nation's icon, right? Yeah, totally. Maybe it's a good thing that we know now that they don't tend to attack things that are larger, like, for example, human children <laughs> or, or baby livestock. Oh, yeah, true. Because humans used to shoot them on sight because it was believed that that was the case, that they were legitimately dangerous to children and to the herd of whatever animal you're raising. Mm-hmm. But we stopped doing that and realized that uh, we didn't really have anything to be worried about in the first place. I think that there are a lot of animals that could benefit from that kind of PR flip Um, I wish we could take that and apply that to like the kind of snakes that we have here in Florida that are of no danger to any, well, not just Florida, obviously snakes anywhere, but like apply that logic to like, oh, hey, you don't actually have to preemptively kill them on site. Like, it's Mm -hmm. fine. You can just let it do its thing. It's not going to kill your babies. Yeah. I get it, though, you know, because the, the bald eagle, it looks so large and it has such like, you know, it's got the sharp pointy beak. It's got the sharp talons, lots of sharp things on it. I get that you would see that and maybe think, ooh, this is something maybe I need to be scared of. You know, like maybe this is something that could be that could maybe wreck my whole shop. Oh, yeah. Could take off with some of my goats or something like that. But, <laughs> you know, that's that's just the important part of learning and understanding more about the animal so that you don't have to like react with fear preemptively. Yeah, Absolutely. How is that in Florida with alligators? Do you feel the same with that? (laughs) You know, alligators here, people don't preemptively kill alligators here because they don't do anything. Like, you could be floating down the river, because people like to go tubing in the rivers and stuff. You could be floating down the river, you could go right by an alligator, and the alligator does not care that you're there. Like, they (laughs) do not care. You are nothing to them. Um, Unless it's like a mama with babies, she might get a little mad. But for the most part, you really just leave them alone, and people don't really care that much about gators. It's Wow. They really just be vibing, huh? They, okay. They just chill. Like they just hang out. So, you know, people don't worry too much about gators. It's kind of exciting when you see one. You're like, oh, let's go take some pictures of it and stuff. But like when you're a kid in Florida, growing up in Florida, you are armed with a wealth of like knowledge of you grow up with people telling you how to avoid getting attacked by an alligator, right? So like you're you're raised with that information. So when you see one and they're so common, right? You see one and it's not that big a deal because it's like you know what to do. You know what they're capable of. The real animals here that could use that PR flip is like the snakes because we have cotton mouths. Yeah. 
and uh, rattlesnakes and stuff like that that I think people see and reflectively are like, I need to kill that before it kills my kids or my dog. And they're not going to. So... <laughs> Yep. So I'm I'm hopeful, like, knowing that it worked for the bald eagle. Maybe it can work for some of our other little friends. Maybe we just need to declare some national snakes. Maybe. <laughs> it seems like we're really, really good at bringing birds back from the brink of extinction. Because I feel like I've had the same experience with sandhill cranes, mm. where I used to never see them. And for a while, it was like a huge treat to see them. But now it's like, they're also everywhere. And I have to avoid hitting them on the road, like that kind of thing. <laughs> you can hear them from so far away. Yeah, they have a great call. Oh, it's beautiful. We were in Okefenokee Swamp, and we could hear sandhill cranes. And I, who knows where they were, but we could hear the whole flock of them. We were so far away, but it just carries. Not like the mm -hmm. little squeaky squeak of a bald eagle. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a mockingbird mimicking a bald eagle before, like a couple months ago. I heard a little mockingbird that was doing that little like ee, 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 ee. Oh wow. <laughs> it was cool. I don't think I've I don't think we have mockingbirds where I'm from. So I've never heard that. That must be a fun experience. It was pretty funny because I heard the sound. I was like, is that an eagle? And I look around, it's just a mockingbird. I was like, oh. <laughs> <Psych>. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the last category we rate animals on in this podcast is aesthetics, which is just how nice the animal is to look at. So what would you give the bald eagle for aesthetics? Ooh, I think I would give it like an eight. That's solid. Bald eagle. Yeah. Yeah. Very distinguished look. Mm -hmm. I like it a lot. My personal favorite birds are the ones that have a bit of iridescence in their feathers. Yeah. I would give it a 10 if it had some iridescent stuff going on, mm -hmm. but like pretty close, you know, close enough. Definitely a solid rating from from my part. The albino looking head with the dark torso, I think, is really really interesting. It's a fun color scheme. A high contrasting. Yeah, look. exactly. High contrast. That's a good. That's a good way to put it. And they have that. Like I, I think any bird of prey. Like you have that sort of raptorial looking face, and that's like a good solid like seven points built in right there. Yeah, the yellow beak is very easy to find. It's not hidden. Mm -hmm. Like some birds, it's actually kind of hard. I don't know, like like parakeets, you can't really, their beaks are really small and curved down, so you can't really see them. But the, no, most raptors, and especially the bald eagle, it sticks out a good a good amount, points down, has a very defined shape. They want you to see it. Yeah. It's fearsome looking, and it, it'll give you the business if you're, if you're caught in the wrong end of it, so... Yeah, I've never held like a raptor or any sort of bird of prey or anything like that. I would, I feel like I would be really afraid too, though, because just that, that hooked beak, it just makes you like it triggers that part of your brain that's like, that thing will tear you to shreds. <laughs> yeah, it'll mess you up. I would, I would not want to be on the a bald eagle's bad side. Absolutely not. I have all the respect in the world for uh, people who can put on the like falconry glove and like hold a, a bird of prey, any bird of prey. That takes so much. Seriously. I'm like, is that the only armor you're going to like have for your <laughs> handling of this knives with wings creature? <laughs> <laughs> I would need like a motorcycle helmet. Seriously. And, yeah. Like, full plate armor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. At least, yeah. At least like a football get up. You got to protect yourself. These things are not playing around. And they're like, with a bird of prey, when you like get really up close to it, if you get that feeling where you know that you're looking at a dinosaur, you know? Right. It feels like you're like, I get it. I see what happened to the dinosaurs. They're here. They're with me now. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I, I would not feel comfortable being right up close and personal with a bald eagle wearing nothing but like some leather gauntlets and some khaki shorts. <laughs> I feel like that's what I always see them wearing. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know they have all the they have all the respect in the world from me. At our Jacksonville Zoo, we have an, a bald eagle. Her name is Athena, and she's really old. So she has, like, scars on her face, and some of her feathers have kind of fallen out, and she just has this kind of, like, haggard look. It works so well for her. It looks amazing. She looks like an old warrior princess. Like, she looks wow. so good. <laughs> It looks great. And I really had never seen like an old bald eagle before, but she's like getting up there in age. She looks incredible. It really works for her. Yeah. I want to, I want to see a picture. I got to go to the zoo now. I have a picture of her. I'll send it to you. It's really good. She's really, she's beautiful. Well, before we get wrapped up, I wanted to kind of give you the floor to talk a little bit about where people can find Tier Zoo, like where people can follow along with what you're up to, things like that. Where can people find you on the internet? Sure. So first and foremost, of course, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Tier Zoo. You can also just search Tier Zoo on the little search bar on YouTube and you'll find it. That is where my core content is going to be focused. Uh, If you want to follow me a little bit more closely, I do have Twitter, and I'm sort of active on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. But the uh, the core of it is going to be focused on on YouTube for sure. So yeah, catch the next video. It's actually going to be about birds. I'm doing a bird tier list next. So depending on when this podcast is released, uh, it may either be out already or it'll be just around the corner. So be sure to check that out and learn some more about eagles and all the rest of your fun bird friends. Of course. We love birds. I was feeling like we had a lack of bird content and I needed to kind of like supplement with some extra like cool birds. There you go. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a delight to talk to you. I feel like this has just come full circle because you were such a big part of inspiring us to start this podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Of course. We'll talk to you later. Sounds good. See ya. Thanks. Bye.